Listener Production. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. <gasps> Take it away, my dulcet toned Adonis. All right, welcome back, listeners, for another instalment of Just the Gist, our weekly-ish podcast where Rosie Waterland and I, Jacob Stanley, give you just the gist of what you need to know about a topic we think you'll find interesting enough to bring up at a dinner party if you're ever able to attend. At a dinner party? A dinner party. (laughs) (laughs) Off to a flying star. Brilliant star. We had a week off last week and already I'm rusty. Oh, yes, and can I just say on that week off, yes, hello, but can I just say on that week off, ooh, it made people cranky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I love, always at the start you say we, it's semi, semi-weekly-ish semi podcast and I'm always like, no, it's weekly, it's fine. But then last week when we missed that week, so many comments were like, oh, you guys, we never know if you're going to have an ep or not, lol. And yeah. I was like, aren't we pretty, aren't we pretty consistent? Or not? <laughs> I thought we were. We do our best, but yes, the weekly-ish is a caveat that gives us the get-out-of-jail-free card for the weeks we have to miss. I will say that some people said, oh, I never know when you're going to drop an episode, what day it will be. No, no, excuse me. It's always been Friday. Um, we always drop on Friday unless we need a break or something happens and we need to miss one or whatever. But just for the record... Friday mornings is when just the gist drops. And then there was one time we felt bad about missing a week. So the next week we dropped an extra one on Monday. But I'm pretty sure that's the only time it's ever not been a Friday. Friday's 11 a.m. Be ready for yeah. it. Yes. That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. And unless I'm still asleep, I usually post about it straight away. Um, we're committing to give you a bit more warning if and when we do have to <laughs> yes. miss a week going forward. So we that do people apologize. aren't shocked when the time comes. <laughs> no, I get it because I have some favourite podcasts and you know when they come out and you're so excited for it and the day you go to listen to it and it's not there, it is the most devastating thing. Totally. And I just think my chronic, crushingly low self-esteem means that I never assumed people cared that much about our podcast. Mm. And so um, I took your anger and was flooded by it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, they noticed we didn't do it. That's nice. So anyway, what, Mr. Jacob Stanley, is the topic you're doing this week? Because it's your turn, which means I can relax. That's right. Um, Well, after we get into breaking news, we're going to get into the topic that I'm serving you this week. And because it was my birthday this week, I'm really hoping that when Felix edits this, he can find a way to edit in the opening bars of Careless Whisper into the background while I tell you... (laughs) (laughs) That this week I am serving you a story which I'm calling Let's Talk About Sax, the life and times of Adolf Sax, the inventor of the saxophone. Is it actually named after his name? Correct, yes. Oh, my God. The saxophone was named after Adolf Sax. Oh, well, I've learnt something already. (laughs) Yeehaw. Wait till you hear about his life story. It sort of comes in two halves and they're both as wild as each other. Why did you want Careless Whisper? What is that song? That is, have you ever seen the sexy... Well, Felix should have just played it, but we can't hear that. So tell, tell me, you hum it to me now. Oh, the quintessential saxophone song that everyone knows. 
Correct. And if you've ever seen uh, the sexy sax man <laughs> video where there's the guy yes, who just goes yes. into crowded public places and classrooms, etc., <laughs> and shirtless wearing leather pants plays the opening bars of Careless Whisper, then you know why it's such an iconic representation of what the saxophone can do. Oh, my God. This is going to be like our 80s Lifetime movie episode. Yeah. It's oh, going to be I'm so fun. excited. Yeah. Oh, yay. Okay. Um, all right. Well, shall we do it? Shall we do 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 do, do. Breaking news. Breaking news. Breaking news. I got the scoop. See? X-ray. X-ray. Read all about it. Breaking news. I've been hanging out for this. Okay, so I've got a doozy for you. <laughs> it's one It's one I found um, almost a week ago and I just, I, I think I called you or messaged you and I said, you have no idea how good this breaking news story is yeah. that I found for you. And I was dying. It's the kind of thing that I've had to stop myself from telling you about. Yeah. Um, but I was telling my mum about it the other night when she was at my house and we were just dying laughing. And also we ended up talking about it for an hour <laughs> trying to break down the logistics of how it would all work. Mm. So, um, okay, so this, <laughs> this surrender, I can't even Okay. First of all, this is a little NSFW. So uh-huh. I know that some people occasionally listen with their kids. So maybe just skip ahead five, a few minutes. Yes. On that note, um, <laughs> we've decided we're going to start giving you a bit of a warning up top of the episode, whether it's family friendly or not. Now, the difficulty that I have mm. with my story is I actually don't know whether it is family friendly or not. I don't have a gauge on that. So I'm going to rely well, on you to tell me at the end. I guess like people know their own gauge. Like, you know, you know, the kind of shit your kids have heard or seen you watch or hear you talk about like I think every parent knows what their kid can handle Mm -hmm. like you know what my parents were like I watched it when I was four years old like (laughs) (laughs) I I could have handled anything (laughs) but other kids you know they're like play with their wooden toys and their hypoallergenic stuff and eat their organic fruit from the farmer's market I, I don't think they could handle Something NSFW. The cotton wool kids. Okay, fair enough. So this one me might and my, be a bit okay. problematic. Me and my sisters, and please don't be offended if your kid's called Oliver. It's a very cute name, but me and my sisters call those kids the Olivers because, <laughs> like, her kids are so not like that. Like, Muhammad is – do you want to hear the funniest story about Muhammad? Yeah. This is my nephew who's seven, um, but he did this probably about a year ago when I think he was about six – and it kind of made Rihanna go, oh, my God, I've, I've really got to watch my road rage and my language in the car. Mm. So I think I've told you this story, but they were in the car and um, <laughs> it was a bike rider, like mm. a push, like a bike, proper bike, push bike rider that they were stuck behind on a really, really busy road. Mm. And so Rihanna's like getting annoyed and the kids are all, because my sister has a million kids. She's got Muhammad, then she's got Aya, who's two, and then she's got the twins who are a year and a, oh, about a year so she's like stuck behind this car, this bike, and she's getting annoyed and the kids are in the back making noise and she's getting frustrated and she's like, oh, move, bike rider, like waiting, waiting, waiting. Mm. And then finally the bike rider kind of goes off to the side and as they take over him, Muhammad just completely on his own, like puts down his window and screams out, get a motorbike, you f- <laughs> 
ขึ้นกรงอืมสอ
for two years, he had a penis attached to his arm. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, literally. So, like, and I, they don't show pictures in the story, but they have a diagram, like an animated diagram. So if you, yeah. like, hold your arm out in front of you, yeah. it's just dangling down. <gasps> off his forearm. Off arm. Yes, off his forearm. Like at a right angle. Oh. Like just dangling in the wind. And okay. uh, it, was, <laughs> it had nerve endings and was it functional? Well, yes. Okay. Oh. So, yes, this, oh. is, this is the rabbit hole my mum and I went down. <laughs> so the whole purpose of putting it on the arm for those two years is so that it can grow all the nerve endings it needed to grow, mm-hmm. um, that it couldn't grow down there because mm-hmm. of the damage. So it was growing nerve endings, it's growing, you know, blood flow and the arteries and everything. And so I said to my mum, if it was growing nerve endings then that means couldn't he like, you know, yeah, on his, but just because they, he couldn't get an erection, but they gave him a little, they um, installed a pump, like a pump in it that he could manually (laughs) pump up. So I'm assuming that means he could still, you know, (laughs) and my mum was like, well, look, Rosie, doesn't that mean he could, you know, why would you ever take it off your arm? Like, how easy is that? <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't, I don't know about the ins and outs of this, but he said he's actually really funny. He said, "Of course, it's mad having a penis on your arm. Not even I am used to it. But when you think about it, it's actually amazing." Um, and he even joked that um, when they uh, started building it, he requested that they add two inches to his old size. So he got a bigger one. <laughs> he got an upgrade. <laughs> he got an upgrade. And um, he uh, said that he had to wear sort of long-sleeved shirts. He said yes. some people noticed, but um, he, he said he just started calling it Jimmy like it was his new friend. So he'd talk about his mate Jimmy on his arm. But then the thing is, um, he says also, I get it. It's not every day you see a man with a penis on his arm. (laughs) That's the truth. (laughs) Of course I see the funny side. I have to. I don't have any other option. If I couldn't laugh at the willy on my arm, I'd be finished. (laughs) Good philosophy. Isn't that just a good philosophy for uh, for life? (laughs) If I couldn't laugh at the willy on my arm, I'd be finished. (laughs) If you don't laugh, you'll cry. (laughs) So, um, but here's the thing. So after two years when he was meant to get it put back on, uh, back, you know, in the, off his arm Uh and in between his legs, uh, he got sick. And so they had to uh, postpone the surgery Mm. because obviously it's dangerous to get surgery when you're sick. And then there was a few more delays and so he's now had it there for four years <gasps> and he was, yeah, and he was meant to, he was locked in, scheduled to get the operation just before COVID hit. Oh, and so then they put off all elective surgeries. Oh, no. And so now he's still, it's been four years, he's still waiting with this penis with his willy jimmy on his arm, oh. dangling in the wind, just waiting. And he sort of said, look, I hope I'll be able to get it done by the end of the year. So by which point it would have been almost like, what, five years? Oh, wow. I know. Yeah, I hope it's worth it for the guy. Isn't medicine fascinating? It's so fascinating. Are they doing all of this for him for free, like covering the costs because it is a great experiment? I read that uh, the NHS, which is like, 
England's version mm. of Medicare. So the public system contributed fifty thousand dollars. Like mm. pay it's the operation was fifty thousand dollars and they paid for it. But I'm assuming that the rest, I, I guess the guys just the maybe the professors doing it pro bono. I don't know. Right. It had cost a lot of money, but it was so funny because I was telling Dino before, and he was like, "If they can do that, then why don't they build hearts?" Like, good why point. They, yeah. Why do they pick penises? Um, <laughs> well, I guess that's the natural progression from ears. Didn't they grow an ear on the back of a mouse? Oh yeah, no, they've grown. They, this is a common thing to if like they've taken if someone's lost an arm and it's not ready to be reattached, they'll, mm. like, attach it to your leg to make sure the blood folk, because otherwise the arm will die. Oh, wow. Like, they, this is a thing that happens in medicine, like, you know, from Grey's Anatomy, like, <laughs> that I've seen. So, but, um, yeah, man. All very impressive, but I'm far too squeamish to um, Google <laughs> any of that, I've got to tell you. <laughs> just leave it to my so, imagination. So, um, I think, you know, just like how last week that, Japanese roller coaster place said, please scream inside your heart. Yes. <laughs> I think the motto of this week is, if I couldn't laugh at the willy on my arm, I'd be finished. <laughs> so here's to that man and his willy friend, Jimmy. Cheers to Jimmy. And he's hoping, and he's hoping Jimmy goes to his rightful place between the legs. Wow. By the end of the year. That could have been its own episode, honey. <laughs> oh, I know. I'm sorry. It was just like. It, it it's well it's not really enough to be its own episode but it is really interesting and i've literally told every like i'm just telling people at the checkout at the supermarket yeah. this is my like just the gist dinner party anecdote for the next 6 months like i've been telling everyone cuz when you tell people they're like what but isn't it amazing it is nuts absolutely nuts yes modern wow. medicine my friend um, okay so i'll rush through, i'll rush through these others uh-huh. so i watched on um there's celebrity Gogglebox now. So there's, mm. you know, Gogglebox is the show where people watch, you watch people watching TV. So in America. that they would be really good on it. Of course, everyone does. Mm. Uh, I would be. And <laughs> I, I would give everything to be on that show. Mm-hmm. Like, for real. Um, I would give my left arm, like, let people grow penises on it. <laughs> till the cows come home, just to be on Gogglebox. It's my dream job. But in the US, they've... Um, They've done celebrity Gogglebox because it's COVID and everyone's stuck at home. Yeah. So it's, you know, easy for once to just film celebrities like with mm. their schedules and everything. So there's an American celebrity Gogglebox um, and I hope they do it here, but I feel like I'm not celebrity enough. Like I'm a little bit more known than a regular person, but not famous enough to be on celebrity Gogglebox. Mm. Such is my curse. Yet. You forgot the word <laughs> yet. <laughs> so anyway. They, on Celebrity Gogglebox, they were watching this show that's been out in America, but it hasn't been released here yet. I looked everywhere and it's called Labor of Love. Mm. And it's about, it's hosted by uh, Kristen Davies, the woman who played Charlotte in Sex and the City. Oh, yeah. That's her name, right? Yeah. Kirsten or Kristen, whatever. Kristen, I think. Um, and it is about a 41-year-old divorcee. So it's kind of a setup like The Bachelor. It's a reality show. Uh-huh. And it's a 41-year-old divorced woman who wants to have a baby. Mm. And so all the contestants, all the male contestants on the show, she's not really looking for a relationship. She's looking for a baby daddy. Uh-huh. And in the very first episode, um, 
literally within five minutes of the show starting, they have their first group date. So you know how on The Bachelor they have a first group date with like the bachelorette and then all the guys. So she comes out. And all the guys come out and Kristen Davies is like, hey, you're all meeting for the first time. But she doesn't care about your personalities. Go into those booths and jizz. We want to test your sperm. So literally within 30 seconds, they all have to go into these little booths Uh. um, and give a sample. (laughs) And then while they're at the party, the samples are all tested. Mm. And then the winner of the challenge who gets to go on a one-on-one date with her is the person who has the highest sperm count. Oh, my God. (laughs) I know. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed. And I only saw this two minutes on Celebrity Gogglebox and I need it to screen in Australia because I so badly want to watch it. And what, everyone else is then just eliminated? Well, I mean, I guess it works like The Bachelorette or The Bachelor. So week by week she cuts people. Okay, so week one it's quantity of sperm and then maybe week two it's quality. (laughs) I don't know. I don't even know. And so then by the end, she picks one, which kind of, and then I guess she'll have a baby. I don't know if it's finished or not because it doesn't screen here, but it kind of reminds me of, you know, that the start of the Truman Show, like mm. where they buy or they a corporation adopts a baby to be part of a reality TV franchise. Mm. I was like, it's getting eerily close. Yeah. Like she's, they're creating a baby and it's for her, but it's also for you were conceived for entertainment. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Yeah, it really feels like it's crossing a line. But also I really want to watch it. Yeah, of course you do. <laughs> so I hope it comes on TV here. So anyway, um, go and watch that ep of Celeb Gogglebox. Um, I think it's on 10 Play because uh-huh. it airs on Channel 10. So definitely go and watch that. Um, oh, we also wanted to mention that, yes, a lot of people have told us that Canadian uh, RuPaul's Drag Race yeah. started a few weeks ago and they use the same theme music as us in the show. Um, and a lot of people have messages to say that they stole it from us and I was like, mm, I don't think so. <laughs> I think it's just some cheap stock music. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't know. We're thinking about maybe changing our music now, but we're not sure. Let us know if you think we should change the music. Yeah, actually, that would be good. Give us some feedback. Yeah. Should we change or should we stick with it as the OG users of the... Because as much as I like to think uh, we are bigger and will get bigger than Canadian RuPaul's Drag Race, <laughs> I highly doubt it. <laughs> so maybe this is one just where the big guys win and we need to acquiesce and change our theme music. But anyway, um, and also, oh, I read the book by... Donald Trump's niece, Mary Trump, called Too Much and Never Enough. Mm. And it's amazing. And it's amazing because you think it's just going to be like um, a whole bunch of like gossip and just salacious stuff. Like she's been outed by the family and apparently didn't get as much inheritance as the other nieces and nephews or whatever. So, but the interesting thing about this book is she is a clinical psychologist Mm. and so she understands you know human behavior she has a doctorate in it and so the book is she goes through their family history um she's the daughter of uh trump's older brother who died in his 40s and so she goes through the family's history but also kind of and so she looks at 
why Trump is the way he is because of the way he was raised and because of the family dynamics that kind of go into creating this very particular kind of personality that he is. And she does it all through the prism of her, you know, doctorate in psychology. So it's really insightful and interesting and um, just such a good book. I listen, I got the audio book, so I listened to it. And it's kind of like listening to an extended podcast. It's yeah. really effing interesting. And I think I read something like it sold like 900,000 copies on in the first 24 hours. Yeah. Like people are going nuts all over it. But it is just so damning. And you almost at times feel a bit sorry for him mm. because his parents were so awful and the way he was raised was just so awful but then also you're like, nah, but still yeah. everyone should read it. It's not so good, interesting. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much it, except to say that uh, I am going to Adelaide on Tuesday uh, because that's where my boyfi lives mm-hmm. and I'm really scared they're going to shut the borders and I won't go over there and get to see him for a gazillion years because um, it seems to be spreading in Sydney and it might explode like it has in Melbourne. Yeah. So. I'm jumping ship. Bye, guys. Get out of there. <laughs> and you are currently in, where are you, Sundays? I am in the Sundays. yes. I am in a place called Woodwork, which is just outside of Airlie Beach, and I'm staying in this stunning cabin in the woods. Apologies if you can hear any of the birds and wildlife surrounding me or the road, which is about oh, 500 metres away, um, <laughs> or more dramatically, this snake in the roof that I can hear rustling around from time to time. Nope. It's Nope. freaks the bejesus nope. out of me. Um, nope. Nope. But we're nope. learning to cohabitate. <laughs> oh, no, I would leave. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't believe you're still there. I would leave. I would have gone. I, like, once saw a huntsman in my room and I slept in the living room for two straight months. <laughs> so no thank you, nature. No thank you very much. Um, so, yeah, we're going to be recording from... Oh, well, I'll be in Adelaide and you'll be, because you're kind of road tripping around. You got over the Queensland border in just time. Just in time, yep. And you're kind of just, you've got your uh, butch lesbian uh, Subaru Outback. Is yes. that what it, it is? Well done. And you're just yeah. driving around, um, you know, going to beaches, Heading looking north, very north, tanned. North. Thank you. I try. But we, were still, we will still connect once a week to make sure we give you just the gist, because last week we got our spanking for missing one. We've learned our lesson, yes. Now we're too scared (laughs) to ever miss one again. (laughs) Okay, so that was quite a long but (laughs) interesting. Yes. (laughs) A breaking news. Okay, that's it from me. Over to you. I'll sit back and chillax. Chillax a fight. Wait, I'm trying to... I'm trying to pick a place that is comfortable for me but also attractive to the camera. Dean will let you know when you got the sweet spot. Hold on. Hold, okay, here we go. Crossing my leg, leaning back. <laughs> okay, that's good. Keep all of this in. <laughs> oh, okay. seamless. All right, so sit back, relax, and enjoy. Let's talk about sax, baby. The life and times of Adolf Sax. Felix, here is where we want. Careless whisper. <laughs> Actually, we don't need it, Felix. This is, I'm great. <laughs> great. If we could just okay. loop that throughout the entire episode, <laughs> that would be perfect.
<laughs> Who needs the actual sax? All right, yeah. go. All right. So Mr. Adolf Sax was actually not christened Adolf. They just thought it'd be a fun nickname to give him when he was born and it kind of stuck. Um, oh, what a fun nickname. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was born in 1814 in a smallish little city somewhere in Belgium. And because his mm. parents were Catholic, of course, he had dozens of siblings. But very suspiciously, only a few of them made it through their childhood alive. So 11 of them made it through to puberty. But then only four, including Adolf, actually made it into their 20s. Um <gasps> Why is that suspicious? Well, Didn't people just die all the time back then? They did. Once you've heard a bit more about Adolf's childhood, you'll come to understand ah, why his parents right. maybe are a little more culpable than they were ever, you know, charged with. Gotcha. Um, Wink. Yeah, you might agree with me that there, at best, was some pretty irresponsible, negligent parenting happening here. So Adolf's okay. mum and dad, mama and papa Sachs, were both quite successful musical instrument instrument makers um and that sort of seems like they just sort of left their kids to their own devices and left them unsupervised so that they could go about their work they were sort of semi-famous for designing a new type of french horn and they had this big brood of free-range children and it was a very hazardous time to be a kid especially unsupervised as adolf found out the hard way there were death traps everywhere around their house and he only just barely made it through to adulthood after a very long and colourful series of near misses. So when he was... What were the death traps? You'll hear about all of them. Oh, I'm okay, going to catalogue each and every one. <laughs> so when oh, he was I'm a excited. toddler to kick things off, he fell, in inverted commas, out of a third-storey window, landed on his Whoop. head, went into a coma Whoop. that lasted for more than a week, and then when he came out of the coma, he couldn't stand on his own for a couple of months and they just assumed that he would never be able to walk again. That's like the first episode of... Um, of Game of uh, Thrones. Game of Thrones. Yes. <laughs> so he woke up from the coma and they thought, okay, so this is going to be a brand situation and he's yeah. never going to walk again. But he did recover fully. And so his parents just let him go back to wandering around and doing whatever he pleased and swallowing mm -hmm. whatever he felt like. Um, <laughs> and within a few months, he gulped down one of his mother's six-inch sewing needles and <gasps> his parents rushed him to a doctor, but there was nothing that they could do back in that day. They were just going to wait for him to die a painful death while the needles sort of skewered all of his internal organs no. as it passed through him. Um, so they just sort of put him in his deathbed, but um, by the will of what we can assume was a very groovy and jazz-loving guardian angel who knew was <laughs> what was in store for Adolf, um, he did pass the needle in one of his stools and suffered Shut no apparent injury. It made its way through him. A six-inch needle went from, what do they call it, gullet to gut. To down there. Yeah. And seriously... You'd want to hope, like, the odds are 50-50 that when that needle gets to your butthole, it's going to be vertical versus mm -hmm. horizontal. Mm -hmm. So he's just lucky that it was facing the right direction. And this is just the first of many examples of incredible oh, luck that, that actually, saved him. Oh, yeah, that makes me cringe. I know, it's oh. bone chilling. And how old was he then? Three. Yeah, he was close to oh, four. Oh, poor little bubba. I know. Anyway, so then... 
he recovered and Mama and Papa Sachs just thought, okay, phew, he's fine. Back to the workshop we go. And as soon as they weren't looking, Adolf went and poured himself a glass of what he thought was milk, but actually turned out to be a bottle of diluted lead, copper oxide, sulfuric acid, <laughs> and arsenic. And he drank the whole thing. And naturally, that made him very sick. Back to the doctor he went, and they thought once again, okay, he's a goner. But before too long, he somehow miraculously was back on his feet again and ready to suffer his next major accident. You can see here why I'm like, oh, I feel a bit sus about the parents already. Yes, but also it's kind of like something in the universe just knew. What There's going to be a period of time called the 1980s <laughs> when we are desperately going to need awesome mm. sax solos. Yep. Like they just knew he had to live. He yep. had to live. Yes, at all costs. Um, but the next few mishaps that happened included one time he fell onto the big cast iron stove that burnt coal Come to hit the on. whole house. I know. Um, it really bad, badly burnt one of his arms and the whole side of one of Aww. his torso. And apart from this being really, really painful and permanently disfiguring, it really could have resulted in his death purely just from the infection potential. Yeah. Because um, they had no way of treating that in those days and hospitals were still very far from being hygienic. Um, so once again, oh. everyone just called it, okay, he's done for this time. Someone called the priest. But again, he bounced back. He got on with his life. And by this time, his family and his neighbours were all just openly calling him Little Sax the Ghost Child. And, <laughs> his and 150 years later, a windswept man in an open linen shirt is standing on top of a mountain with a sax yep. and a tear streams down his cheek <laughs> for little Adolf Sax. Um, his mother was going around and telling people very blatantly that he's just condemned to misfortune and he's not going to live. So she had just sort of resigned herself oh, to the fact right. that he was going to die and telling everyone, yep, he's just really unfortunate and he's going to die in one of these horrible accidents one day. But that also sounds like she is kind of planting the idea in people's heads. Yeah. You know exactly. what I mean? Yes. Yeah. I'm Dodgy. very sus of these two and there's more Dodgerama. evidence to come. Okay. Um, so, you know, he's very accident prone, but even that knowledge didn't do anything to inspire Mama Sachs to keep a closer eye on her son. Um, when yeah. he was 10 years old, a mill worker glanced out the window and saw a body walking up and down on the water, floating face down in the river. And, of course, oh, that turned on. out to be... Adolf. Oh, no. And the, the mill workers and a bunch of his co-workers ran outside. They jumped in the water, dragged Adolf to the shore. He was unconscious, and so they just sort of stood there looking at him. They couldn't really do much because CPR wasn't going to be invented until the oh. 1960s. But then, again, miracle, he coughed, he started breathing, he regained consciousness, and oh then my just God. This is the kind of thing that, life. like, there's often when, because I do uh, TV writing and often when you're in the writer's room and you're all like spitballing ideas and sometimes you'll tell a story from your life or someone else will tell a story from your life, from their life, that is just so outrageous. You'll go, we can't write that because yeah. it's not believable, <laughs> even though it's true. Yeah. Like if you made this into a movie, people would be like, that's not, that's not believable. Like it would never get past the writer's room because they'd just be like, no one's going to, that's ridiculous. Yeah. But 
this, my friend. Unless he does have the angel of saxophones <laughs> over his shoulder. The the angel of of um, sweet ass sax solos. The sax god. Looking out for him. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so then he recovers from the almost fatal drowning. Um, and then this is really where it feels like the parents are, if anything, ramping up their attempt to scrub Adolf out. Um, because three times in one scrub year. Scrub Adolf out. <laughs> <laughs> you in the mafia. That's what the mobsters say, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, little thing. Okay. So three times in the space of one year, he got extremely sick from the toxic fumes that were coming off the varnish that was on the furniture that they had put in his bedroom, which no. nearly killed him through <laughs> asphyxiation. <laughs> Who is this kid? <laughs> He's like the Terminator. Exactly. <laughs> And he just keeps somehow rebuilding himself and getting back to it. And then one day he was hanging out in his father's workshop and he was allowed to just casually lean on a barrel of gunpowder that Papa Sachs just had lying around. And what do you think happened? (laughs) It exploded. Kaboom. Little Adolf was blown clear across the room. And he's very, very lucky that he survived with just a few broken bones. And somehow not only did it not kill him, but it didn't even damage his sense of hearing, which obviously was a huge risk. Well, people who hate sax solos might beg to differ, but. Agreed, yes. Um, (laughs) In researching this, I have discovered that there are a lot of people who really truly wish that Adolf Sachs had died in one of these incidents. Oh, no. But I just, how is it? If his parents were trying to kill him, surely by this point they're like, what the hell? Yeah. Like, this kid's unbreakable. Like, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we've still got one more to go, folks. Oh, no. Okay, <laughs> so tell me. So before he could actually get started with his musical career at the ripe old age of 14, he was walking down the street. And this one, I'll give you, this would be challenging but not impossible to blame on his parents. He was walking down the street and a big slate roof tile came loose, slid down, fell to the ground, but landed directly on his head, knocked him out for a couple of weeks. So this was yet another coma that he went into that they thought he would never recover from. But (laughs) do you think this is like a back to the future situation where (laughs) someone from the 80s was like, I have to go back and stop him? Like, I must. <laughs> they kept going back and trying and trying and trying, but couldn't do it. Just couldn't do it. The unstoppable sacks <laughs> just kept coming back for more. He had a Kenny destiny G. to fulfill. Kenny G needs needs to exist. Yes. <laughs> we need him to invent the sacks. Okay. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. So. All right. So all of that was really just a warm-up. That is the first act of Adolf's life. <sighs> But that whole series of traumas sort of sets the tone for a life that was very full of lots and lots of drama and more narrow escapes from death. And so now we move into Act 2. And I am thrilled to tell you that, once again, this is a story that is filled with examples of grown men being incredibly petty towards each other, which amuses me to no end. Oh, Uh, what a surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Grown men being petty, <laughs> having uh, really fragile egos. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> These ones um, are French yes. as well, so they have oh, especially excellent. brittle egos. 
Um, all right, so it was very obvious from the age of 14 that Adolf was a musical genius and we have no idea and we'll never know whether that was an outcome of his many very serious head traumas. But he was incredibly gifted not only at playing instruments and at singing, he also had a natural skill for making instruments that were much, much better than what was already available on the market. Well, there are those stories of like... Um I've been watching um, this show on, uh, I think it's on binge, William Shatner's like, uh, like the world is amazing or what is it? William Shatner's something where he just tells amazing weird stories. And he did this episode on people who have brain injuries Mm. who then when they wake up have incredible skills that they didn't have before. And one of the skills is often um, like prodigy level musical talent. Mm. Because there's something about if your brain gets damaged in a certain way, it lights up another part of your brain. Mm. And if it's the creative part of your brain, you can just wake up and, like, be amazing at that stuff. So maybe Mm -hmm. that's what happened. Well, that's Maybe the person who came back from the future to stop him from creating the saxophone (laughs) was actually the reason... He created the saxophone. <laughs> Oy, oh. uh, this movie writes itself. <laughs> okay, so he's amazingly talented. Yes. By the way, you had me at William Shatner. I'm watching whatever yeah, it is. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I wish I could remember the name. It's just him, and he sits in a room and he's just like, comas. <laughs> They're pretty mysterious, aren't they? But sometimes people wake up and they have special talents. <laughs> that they didn't have Mm. before. (laughs) And then they just tell all these amazing stories. It's actually a really interesting, cool show. I'll put it in the show notes. Excellent. Anyway, yes, keep going. (laughs) All right, so from when he was very little, he had this prodigious talent to, like, redesign clarinets and flutes and trumpets and make them sound way better than they ever had before and make them a lot easier for people to play than they had been before. Um, He even did what was considered impossible and made a clarinet and a couple of flutes out of ivory. So he very quickly surpassed his father in skill and reputation. So he was known across Belgium by the time he was just 16. And he was inventing his own brand new instruments by the time he was 20. And when he was 24, he got his first ever patent for what was called the bass clarinet, which we'll hear a bit more about later on. Mm -hmm. And because he was so talented and so skilled, he started submitting his creations every year at the Belgian National Exhibition, which I guess was sort of like the Olympics for engineering and design nerds. And he should have won the gold medal year after year for nerdiest new instrument because he was making the best instruments in the world. But the judges kept telling him that if they gave him the gold when he was in his 20s, then he already have peaked in life and his existence could only go down from there so they just kept snubbing him yeah do they not know that he's the bionic man yeah (laughs) you think he didn't peak like at his third near-death experience Mm -hmm. what a silly reason anyway okay yeah and you know we've learned he's tenacious so he didn't give up when he was 27 Mm. he was sure all right it's been a decade that i've been submitting things here this is my year Um, He was going to show nine brand new, never before seen musical instruments, including the world debut of his latest secret project, which was the saxophone. The saxophone. Yes. And this was supposed to be the first time that the sax was ever seen and demonstrated publicly. But 
When Adolf wasn't looking, one of his competitors tried to sabotage him by stealing the saxophone <gasps> prototype, running outside and kicking <gasps> it off into the distance. <laughs> <laughs> Jacques! <laughs> Saboteur! Saboteur! Oh my God, that's not subtle at all. Like at least just, I don't know, put it in a bin. <laughs> Why do you kick it? <laughs> it was such a dramatic way to do it. And so, of course, it landed well, they are on musicians. rocks and it was They're musicians. destroyed. Yes. Mm. Yes. <laughs> so it was destroyed. Oh, no. It was completely destroyed. Um, and we don't know this guy's name, but we're going to go ahead and call him the world's first ever sax offender. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so the first ever sax prototype was destroyed. Um, but even so, Adolf still should have won the Nerd Olympics with his other eight inventions. But the judges told him once again he was just too young. And instead of giving him the gold, they offered him a silver medal as like a participation award. But he Lost. refused to be patronised and he didn't accept the reward. Instead, he announced to everyone that he was too big for Belgium anyway and he stormed off saying he was going to go to Paris where his genius would be acknowledged. Yeah, well, fair enough. Can I also ask, um, when you say, like, there was all these other instruments that he should have been winning for, mm. are any of those instruments that we also know today? <laughs> They're certainly nowhere near as famous as the saxophone. Um, but they'll come um, to the excuse story. me. I, I was in school band, so um, <laughs> did you play? I the... do have a slightly higher level of knowledge, right? Did you play the sax tromba or the sax tuba? <laughs> no, I played the flute, <laughs> not very well. <laughs> you didn't do a sax flute, as far as I know. Okay, but yes, right. um, everything had the prefix of sax that he <laughs> invented. Oh, I love it. Yeah, um, why not? Anyway, so he announced goodbye forever, you bunch of factory reject dildos and went <laughs> off to Paris with 30 francs in his pocket and a plan. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, so because his own father used to make instruments for the Dutch army, because um, yeah. apparently every army needs an orchestra, Adolf knew mm. that armies would be willing to pay a lot of money for good quality instruments and they would also make bulk purchases. And he'd heard that the French army band was getting a bit of a refresh because it had become a bit of a laughing stock across Europe over the course of the years. And so mm. when he arrived in Paris, he was determined, I am going to create all the musical instruments for the French National Army. Why did the French National Army become a laughing stock? <laughs> What's the story? What do you mean? It wasn't so much the arm. Well, maybe it was the army like and the, the band. The, the army band? Yeah. What that, did they do? Well, ever since Napoleon I had surrendered at Waterloo, they had apparently just become really, really terrible. And oh, okay. It was like <laughs> a big joke good. how bad the French army band had become for whatever reason. Um, and they were keen to reestablish their reputation because, you know, that's a very important thing for them to have been mm. focusing on as a nation. Like the Spice Girls after Jerry left. Yes. Yeah. Rebuild, regroup. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, so he arrived in Paris with this plan, but he didn't have much money and he didn't have a great reputation in France. He had to live in a shed at first. But he did have a few connections in the music world and he was able to use those connections to get in touch with one of the biggest composers of the time, which was a bloke named Berlioz. 
And mm-hmm. Berliotz was more than happy to help Adolf get a foot in the door. As soon as he got the chance to experience Adolf's inventions, he became a total sax fiend. And he wrote this effusively positive review of sax's instruments that got enough attention. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a second. Yes. <laughs> um, this review that said all these amazing things about Adolf Sax and the incredible instruments he was making got loads of attention mm. and also attracted a whole bunch of investors that then meant Adolf was able to set up his own factory pretty quickly. Um, But at the same time that Berlioz's review launched Adolf's career, it totally bruised the tender, fragile little egos of all the other music men in Paris who hated the idea of a Belgian coming in and stealing their thunder, stealing their business and making them generally look bad. So they started hatching plots to destroy Mr. Sachs, who, by the way, we can't act like he was just this totally innocent genius who was just trying to share his gift with the world. He is not a Stuart Semple type character. By all accounts, he was very arrogant, incredibly rude, super egotistical, um, and was a prick to most of the people around him. And so a lot of the vendettas that people took out on him were a result of his abrasive personality as much as being an outcome of tall poppy syndrome. But, you know, that could be the head injury also. Correct, yes. Let's have a little empathy. Yeah. Doesn't change the fact he's a dick. Yeah. Um, so to begin with, they started by poaching craftsmen that were working in Adolf's factory. So he had no workers. Then they got defamatory articles published about him in newspapers. Then they like saying what, uh, saying that he was a madman and, um, he was a liar and he was a thief. None of it was possibly true though. Yeah. Well, mm, I don't know. Anyway, then they sent thieves into his workshop to steal his designs so that they could start making them themselves. Uh Um, Then they started once again publicly accusing him of insanity. They tried to have him arrested, saying that he was an unsafe member of society. One time they found out that a major composer was planning to use Adolf's instruments in his newest opera. So they went and bribed and blackmailed all of the opera's musicians to get them to boycott using Sax's instruments. Why though? I mean, it's not like, so he was a dick, but I mean, it's not like he was, I don't know, he was killing a people. dick, but more importantly, he was Belgian. So they really hated the fact that he oh. was the toast of the town, but he wasn't actually French. French. Yes. Okay. So things were getting tougher and tougher for him week by week, but Adolf knew that he had an ace up his sleeve. He'd already invented the bass clarinet, which had sort of revolutionized orchestral music, and he was known by this time for the sax horn as well, but he still (laughs) hadn't revealed the saxophone to the world. Even though he had made it before and that guy kicked it. Exactly. Drop kicked it. Yeah. Okay. So, so since then he hasn't. Not yet. Released no. another one. Okay. He was waiting for the moment because he knew that this was going to be really, really big. Um, this was the first time that anyone had ever combined a woodwind instrument and a brass instrument. So although a saxophone is made out of brass because it has a reed, it is technically a woodwind. And uh, that makes it the very first hybrid of these two different orchestral families. No one had ever thought that it would be possible to do it previously. They certainly hadn't even yeah. bothered to try. Um, and so he knew that this was really going to put him on the map when the time was right. So yeah. 
We cut to 1844, Adolf's 30 by this time, and he chose the Paris Industrial Exhibition to introduce to Paris and the world his magnum opus, the saxophone. And how do you think he might have demonstrated this instrument in this debut? Oh, gosh, I don't know. What do you mean? Well, naturally, he did the world's first sax solo and it was epic. (laughs) I was going to say, play it? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Is this a trick question? Oh, okay. Yes. Oh, and was it, um, was it? (laughs) We don't know what. (laughs) (laughs) Let's say that's what it was. We'll assume, yes. Picture that. We don't know for sure, but we'll assume. What we do know is that he was super, super paranoid about people trying to steal the design before he'd actually secured the patent for it. So he Mm. played that whole solo behind a thin white sheet and he was backlit Mm. so people could only sort of vaguely see (gasps) his outline. That is so 80s. I know. (laughs) Oh, my God. And then, like, on a screen next to him is, like, a scene of, like, two 80s stars making love on a beach at sunset. (laughs) Candlelight dinners. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, So the drama of all that spectacle worked in Sax's favour. It got him lots of attention and it instantly made him the front runner to produce the instruments for the new and improved French army band. And mm-hmm. Berlioz wrote yet another glowing review for sax in which he used some of the most fabulous words to describe the sound of the saxophone. Yes, go. I'm going to tell you what those words are because I actually think I'm going to start introducing a word of the week um, as part of these episodes going forward oh, as I gradually I- morph into Moira Rose. And can I just say that as you were saying that, you were like really sexily stroking your neck with your <laughs> finger. <laughs> it was just, I just got a whole very sensual visual audio experience. Okay, go. Say, say the words, Jacob. Okay, two of the words that he used were crepuscular and pontifical. <gasps> that is so Moira Rose. Say it like Moira Rose. Crepuscular <laughs> pontifical. What do both of those words mean, please? All right. See if you can work these into a sentence at some point in the next seven days, Jisners. Crepuscular means resembling twilight. So something Mm -hmm. that's quite sort of ephemeral and gentle. Pontifical. Wait, crepuscular. 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 And what's the other one? Pontifical. Pontifical, yes. So pontifical comes from the word for pope, so something that's very sort of popely and stately and pompous and infallible. So it's not it's not a word, it's not a version of pontificate, or it is? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Hmm. But by being saying that something's popely, you mean that it's sort of like very big and grand and that was the thing that they loved about the saxophone the fact that it could play notes that were very sort of soft and gentle but it also had a lot of power for some of the big belty notes pontifical and crepuscular oh by the way maybe we should get some special theme music for the words of the week (laughs) if anyone out there is up for the challenge send your submissions through are you creating a new segment for yourself (laughs) (laughs) only if you say them all like moira rose (laughs) deal 
Get your derriere on, Daria. Okay, wait. No, I can come up with the theme music right now. This is my specialty. Um, so what is the theme music for a really quick little segment? Okay, ready? <gasps> Words of the week. <laughs> there you go. That was very crepuscular, Rosie. Thank you. Thank you. I thought it was more pontifical, but <laughs> I guess I have a high opinion of myself. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this crepuscular pontifical musical instrument was a huge hit throughout Paris and all of Saxe's enemies were outraged because it looked like they were going to be overlooked. They loathed the idea that a Belgian would be in charge of making instruments for the French military band. So they too bad, too sad. He's better than you. <laughs> but they weren't going to take it lying down. They demanded a challenge and Sachs suggested, okay, why don't we put on the world's first battle of the bands? Because <laughs> he had uh, successfully yeah. settled a lot of disputes over the course of his life by performing essentially musical duels with people. And he almost yeah. always won them because he was a musical genius. Now, So he would like challenge you to a duel, but correct. it would be a music duel. That is right. Yes. I oh, love it. And Make Love, not war, That's art, right. not guns, yeah. all, you know, etc. He kind of saw it, though, as him shaming people um, by outshining them with his talent that comparatively yeah. left them in the dust. Anyway, April 22nd, 1845, I'm not making this up, two bands, each with the same piece of music, played for a crowd of 20,000 people. Oh, my God. One band played using the traditional instruments that were made by the local Parisian artisans and the other yep. band played using Sax's modified wood and brass instruments, including the saxophone. And, of course, the crowd went wild for Sax's band and he yeah. was then given the contract by vote of applause oh and cheers. <laughs> so there was an applause meter Exactly. Uh, like Dean in Community. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so he achieved exactly the goal that he had set out to achieve when he came to Paris and his haters were seething and they decided, all right, let's get serious about this. We have to take this guy down. And they decided to formalize their efforts by forming yep. an official organization, which they called the United Association of Instrument Mo Makers, which yep. was exclusively for French craftsmen and which forbade Adolf from ever joining. And from here on out, we are going to call the United Association of Instrument Makers the <gasps> Anti-Saxes. <laughs> You're really outdoing yourself this week. <laughs> you really are. Hey, can I ask a quick question? Yeah. Why is it called the Saxophone? Like sax is his name, but what's the ophone? Uh, well, a telephone is something, phone relates to hearing and, oh. or sound. So telephone means sound at a long distance because tele means from afar, I think. So it was like my sound machine. Yes. Basically what's up because it's his name. That's right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. interesting. Hmm. Okay. Um, so the anti-Saxes, their first move was to focus all of their efforts on trying to block Adolf from getting a patent on the saxophone. And they yeah. started off by just claiming that Adolf was a fraud and the saxophone didn't actually exist because no one had actually seen it. They'd only seen a shadow from behind a curtain. And that Oh, so he 
Okay. So he didn't use it in the Battle of the Bands. That was just regular other instruments. Well, actually, that's a very good point because it did say that he did include the saxophone in the Battle yeah. of the Bands. At any rate, it wasn't a great claim that they said it doesn't actually exist. It's a fictional instrument. Yeah. It only bought them a little bit of time because Adolf and could very easily... And do they not easily... understand that literally someone tried to murder him 50 times mm-hmm. before he was 14 years old? Like... You cannot knock this guy down. Yeah. Give up, you guys. Mm-mm. He's unbreakable. Um, yeah, look, these French folks were just as tenacious as he was. They weren't going to give up and just let him win. Mm-hmm. Um, their next step was to claim, and some people today would probably back this assertion up, um, that the saxophone was nothing but an abomination, not a musical instrument. It was far too unmusical and painful to listen to to ever be called an <laughs> instrument. <laughs> Disagree. Hard <laughs> disagree. I have to say Kenny, is... Kenny G would beg to differ. Yes, he certainly would. Um, All of the 80s would beg to differ. Don't you think, though, that, like, when there's a busker on the street, the worst instrument they could be playing would be the saxophone? Um, no, I would say tuba. <laughs> 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 or... Bagpipes. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yes, see? That's a fair call, yes. There you go. All yeah. right. Anyway, um, that argument was beaten down, so then they changed tack again and they claimed that he had actually just adapted the work of other craftsmen and his idea wasn't unique. That was thrown out of court as well. Then they came up with what they thought was their masterstroke. Give up, guys. Yes. So they claimed that the saxophone had already existed for years in other countries and that it had actually been invented by a German guy and that Adolf had just stolen the design and was trying to pass it off as his own invention. And they knew that they would need some proof to substantiate a claim like this. So they Mm. got a friend of a friend to go and buy a bunch of saxophones from Adolf's workshop and they removed the little Adolf sax logo from all of them (laughs) and then sent them off to a bunch of different manufacturers in Europe and told them, Uh, apply your own logo and send this back to us. Airtight plan, except someone tipped Adolf off about what was going to happen so he knew exactly what was coming at him. And when he was brought forward to face these accusations, he got the chance to meet the German chap who was claiming that he'd been the one who'd invented not only the saxophone but also the bass clarinet. And this German guy publicly accused Adolf of stealing all of his ideas and all of the anti-saxes were standing around booing and jeering at this time. But Adolf just stayed cool and suggested that they maybe do a little demonstration, a little duel, um, (gasps) which the court allowed. And instantly Adolf would have seen the oh shit moment flash in the German dude's eyes when he realised what he'd gotten himself into because he hadn't even bothered to learn to play either of the (laughs) instruments that he was claiming that he'd invented. And so saxophone is hard, man. It is hard to play. Yeah. Yeah. And if you play it poorly, it sounds like bagpipes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So began the Battle of the Saxes. (laughs) <laughs> the court witnessed this German accuser play a few bars on the bass clarinet that was sort of okay, not terrible, but not good. And mm-hmm. then he absolutely butchered his attempt to play anything on the saxophone. You can imagine how atrocious <laughs> it would have sounded. Oh, my God. Can you imagine just the absolute panic you yeah. hearing in every 
fiber of his being. Like just that is like nightmare level stuff, like being on stage and forgetting your lines or something. Like that is. Oh. I can't believe that he was brazen enough to just give it a go. I know. Think, I would have just walked off. I could figure it out on the fly. Like surely you would just feign a vomiting fit, diarrhea, something. But we all know overconfident white men who, you know, attempt things that they have absolutely no chance of achieving because mm-hmm. of what, Jacob? Gender, Gender dynamics. dynamics. Mm. Yes. Um, of course. It's that whole thing of um, they say men will apply for jobs that they're underqualified for, mm. whereas women will always assume that, like, assuming they can just get it, whereas women will always assume that they don't have the qualifications so they won't go for it. It's exactly. like that freaking... Uh, you suck, men. Yep. <laughs> um, so he gave it a go. It was terrible. Adolf then got up and played each of the instruments flawlessly. That settled the matter instantly. But <laughs> it was that, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, the anti-saxes still weren't going to give up. They pivoted again and they claimed that because Adolf had played the saxophone publicly several times now, it could no longer be eligible for a patent at all. And at this point, Adolf went, you know what? I'm over it. I, fine, I'm going to give you guys 12 months I'll withdraw my patent application. You can go right ahead and you've got a year. Make a saxophone of your own if you think you can. Beat me Mm -hmm. to the patent if you think you can. I wish you luck. Um, And, of course, no one was up to the task. No one else had Adolf's unique form of possibly brain trauma-induced genius. Yeah, broken brain. And so 12 months later, Adolf finally submitted and won the patent for the saxophone and... In the interim, that's when he'd also had time to invent the saxotromba and the sax tuba, which he got the patent for at the <laughs> same time. Equally as famous to this day. <laughs> yes. um, and, of course, the anti-saxes were still furious. They came up with a new plan. This time they just burnt Adolf's factory to the ground. But he gave them, he, he gave them a chance mm-hmm. and they couldn't build. So just say, you know what, God bless, like... You are too pontifical for us mm-hmm. and we stand down. Like, <laughs> God, men in their egos. Yeah, the hatred was just too strong. He rebuilt yeah. his factory, got his business back on his feet, and then they decided, all right, we've got to take him out personally. So they hired a hitman to assassinate him. <laughs> and He's one of those people for whom, like, um, it's not paranoia if they're really out to get you is literally the motto of his entire life. Mm-hmm. That's right. Like how how old is he at this point? Uh, he's 30s? early, mid-30s, yes. Mm. Oh, my God, it's relentless. I just want to bath and a lie down. <laughs> but, <sighs> yes, there's been many, many attempts on his life. But what does he do? He survives. Um, so with one perfectly aimed shot, the hitman took out Adolf's assistant, mistaking, mistaking it for Adolf himself. So then they hired another assassin, but of course none of them knew what we know, which is Adolf Sachs was unbreakable and he could not die. So he just kept thriving and things were going very well for him until the king, who was one of Adolf's biggest fans, was forced to evacuate from France 
And once the king was gone, that's when the anti-Saxes pounced and they launched a petition to void Adolf's contract with the military and to revoke the patents that he had for his creations, which was successful, Uh. um, which then meant that everyone could start making their own versions of his inventions and give him no credit and no money. And, of course, Adolf countersued, and this started off a five-year court case, which then ruined him financially. He had no choice but to file for bankruptcy, and then he fled to London for a while. Yeah. Then, when he moved back to Paris in 1853, <laughs> Mama and Papa Sachs decided that they were going to come and live with Adolf in Paris Oh, they're still as around. Well. They were still kicking. Um, okay. They had decided that it was time for them to leave Belgium because they were tired of running the music shop that they'd been running in Brussels. They were in their Mm. 60s. And also they had no reason to stay there anymore because the three last surviving Saxe children had all died in the space Mm. of four months at the end of 1852. Kind of sounds like they wanted to bounce to France, so they Uh just took care of business before they left. And so as soon as I read that the parents moved to Paris to be with him, I was like, no, no, danger, danger. (gasps) Yes, right? Um, He didn't think anything of it at the time. His parents moved in with him, but shortly after they got there, they brought whatever curse that they had hanging over their heads and Adolf developed. Curse, you mean trying to murder him? Yeah. I don't know how they managed to make this one happen, but he started growing this black tumour on his lip. Oh, no. Which he didn't think anything of. all those French people needed to do all this time was call his parents. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They would have come and done something. But they had proven that they could not successfully take down Adolf Sachs. Time and time again. Mm -hmm. But they've gotten closer than anyone, it seems like. Um, Anyway. He was back in Paris and he decided to just focus on getting back to work, reclaiming his rightful place in the industry, which With a big tumour on his face. Well, yeah, it kept growing. So he still, he made it back to the top of the pecking order. Emperor Napoleon III came to his rescue and helped him rebuild his factory, gave him the position of musical instrument maker to the household troops and things were looking good. But over the course of five years, the tumour kept growing bigger and bigger and bigger and getting more and more painful. He couldn't open his mouth to eat or drink, let alone play a musical instrument. He had to be fed. Why why wouldn't they remove it? Like... Because they removed things like that back then. Well, this was the choice that he was faced with because they said, all right, if we're going to cut off this tumour, we'll basically have to take half of your face and jaw, which meant that So he'll never be able to play again. Play again. That's Uh... right. But an exotic doctor, in inverted commas, came along and said, look, I've come up with this alternative herbal remedy that I believe is going to work. And Adolf decided... Oh, my God, Pete Evans. Yeah, very, very (laughs) homeopathic. Yeah. <laughs> and Adolf said, you know what, I'm, I'd rather risk it with the herbal remedy than go through all of this surgery. And what mm-hmm. do you think happened to the tumour? It went away. It completely went away in the course because of just over a year. This is not an endorsement for Pete <laughs> Evans. Sachs, Adolf Sachs is just the bionic man. That is right. The unbreakable yes. Adolf Sachs god that he was could not be taken out even by cancer. Get 
last. Oh yes. my God, this has to be coming to an end. Please, <laughs> what is going on? Yes. Like, I'm just, I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm tired. It's from exhausting. The relentless yeah. attempts on his life. Yes. Um, so he survived cancer. We will come to the end of his story shortly, but before we do, just to let you know how um, gender dynamics played a pretty significant role in his life and sort of give you a bit of an idea of what do. an asshole this guy was. So he mm. did have a long-term relationship with one woman who bore him five children, but... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. He never publicly acknowledged her. He didn't marry her. And he also wouldn't accept paternity for any of the children because she was Spanish. Ugh. Mm. And he thought that she was well beneath his station because she was one of his employees. So that made her mm. lower class while he was middle class. And um, also, you know, she was just a lady. That's right. A, she had the girl part. Disposable. Yeah. Mm. yeah. No thanks. So he didn't admit paternity to any of the kids until the eldest daughter was going to get married and he thought, hey, this could work in my favour, both money-wise and connection-wise, so I'll mm. claim paternity for her and the other kids, which is fine because three of them had died by that stage anyway. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's not right. <laughs> this is just so grim. Yes. Okay, yeah. Um. And still, even at this point, the anti-Saxes just would not give up their mission to destroy Adolf. And he ended up having to file for bankruptcy two more times in his life, fighting them before he decided yeah. to just appeal directly to the public. So he wrote an article that outlined all of the cruel and vindictive things that the anti-Saxes had done to try to destroy him over the years, mm-hmm. called them out for their pettiness, and he was really calling for revenge. It was a rallying cry and he wanted everyone who was in the industry to take these people down, but mm. very few people paid attention. Um, like I said, he was not very well liked across the industry. Mm. And it's also like when people in the arts... Uh, talk about things that they really care about that the average person is just like, oh, we don't care if you get $20 million to build that bizarre sculpture at that museum. Like, mm. we're just trying to put food on the table, buddy. Like, I think appealing to the public is is interesting but also has the potential to just really backfire because exactly. people are like, oh, take your silly instruments and be frivolous somewhere else. Yeah. Um, but luckily for him, a few people did pay attention and they responded with, pity and charity and they were mostly all musicians and composers who were just really grateful to him for all of the work that he'd done to advance yeah. the craft and so they established a pension fund for him so that he could retire and live the rest of his mm-hmm. life in comfort which he did until death finally caught up with Adolf how did it Sachs. get him he how died in his sleep him? at the age of 79 <laughs> of course he did yes <laughs> and I bet you know what I bet he chose it. I bet he went to bed that night and he was like, okay, I, I say it's time. Yeah. I say it's time. <laughs> <laughs> and then he died. He died. <laughs> and he was buried in his family plot in Montmartre and the business was taken over then by his only surviving son. Um, neither of them really ever got to see how successful the saxophone would ultimately become before they died. Um, the instrument did sort of reach a decent amount of popularity while Adolf was alive. He sold more than 25,000 units before he died. 
but he had no idea how saxophones would take off in the 20th centuries, especially once it reached the USA via New mm-hmm. Orleans. And that's when the jazz movement really sort of started. Yeah. Um, and yeah, to this day, he is revered by some people. He is reviled by others who wish he had never been born. Um, I really mean it when I say there are a lot of people out there who passionately despise the saxophone and wish that oh, it had never been invented. Please, um, sax solos from the 80s are the best thing in the world. Couldn't agree more. Yes. The best thing in – there is nothing like Kenny G standing on top of a mountain, wind in his hair, mm-hmm. just playing the soundtrack to two movie stars making love on a yacht. Mm-hmm. Where would we be without that cultural touch point? That is peak culture. Mm-hmm. Peak culture. So that, my dear Gisners, is the story Ooh. of the unkillable Adolf Sachs. And we can leave it there or I can give you a few Sachs facts that I thought were kind of interesting. <laughs> All right. Drop some facts. Drop some Sachs facts. All right. So the saxophone is the most banned musical instrument in history. <laughs> And it's been banned for various reasons over the years. So firstly, in 1914, the Vatican banned um, all saxophones in Vatican City and then across all Catholic churches. For sounding too sexy? Too sexy, yes. Yes, I knew it. I knew it. Exactly. Catholics are prudes. Yeah. Uh Yeah. And they were like, oh, no, this is just far too stimulating. We have to say no. funny things in my loins. Mm. That makes the dick on my arm feel funny. Yeah. (laughs) and then the saxophone was banned all across germany during the nazi regime because they said that it was too closely associated with um degenerate art forms like jazz by which they meant black people black people Um, yeah and so they had posters plastered all around um the country that called out the fact that saxophones and jazz music were banned and those posters featured a picture of a monkey wearing a Star Mm. of David playing the saxophone. And then shortly after that, Stalin banned the saxophone in the Soviet Union because he felt that it was just too closely associated with American culture. And so anyone who had a saxophone had to surrender their instrument. And when a lot of people did surrender their instrument, they were still considered to be too much of a cultural risk. And Mm -hmm. so they, when they surrendered their saxophone, were in many cases arrested and exiled for the rest of their life. You know what's interesting? And there was, um, gosh, we've gone on so long already, but you're wrong about the podcast we love did a great episode on disco this week. Yes. And they talked a lot about how disco had started off as something of a subculture, uh, especially for the queer community, but also for the black community. Mm. Um, and then when white people co-opted it, they made it lame. And everybody hates the version of disco that white people mm-hmm. put out there. But disco was actually really incredible. Mm-hmm. And it seems like that's kind of what happened with the saxophone. Like it was this incredibly important quintessential part of American jazz, like Mm. particularly in New Orleans and in the South. And it was a huge part of black culture, this instrument, um, you know, along with the trumpet and all those kind of um, brass uh, and woodwind instruments. Mm. And then the version that we most know about saxophones is when white people took over and Kenny G stands on top of a mountain and plays sax solos for (laughs) sex scenes in 80s movies. Like, God, white people just make everything shit. Yes. Sorry. 
Um, but final sax fact. Um, yeah. About 30 years ago, music schools noticed this huge shift in the gender perception of the saxophone and they called it the Lisa Simpson Lisa effect. Simpson. Yes. Oh, what? So before the Simpsons came along, 10% of saxophone student, students were female, but... Thanks to Lisa and her family, that jumped up to 90% of saxophone students were female throughout the 90s. I will say in year, I think I was in year five when I started playing um, flute and it was only because the saxophone was too expensive and the (laughs) foster parents I was living with said, Mm. you can play an instrument, but saxophone is too much. You can pick between clarinet or flute. So I picked Mm -hmm. flute, but I desperately wanted to play saxophone and I was devo that I couldn't Mm -hmm. because I wanted to be like Lisa Simpson. Well, it's not too late, honey. (laughs) No, I think it is. I was (laughs) terrible at flute. (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) The only skill I retained was I can read music, but like other than that, I was not. No, no, no. Best, best protect the world from that scenario. Fair enough. All right. Oof, that was good. I'm exhausted, like not because it was too long, but because, oh, my God, it was like I was on edge the whole time. Yeah. Like, was he going to die? What's going to? Yeah. And then he just dies in his sleep. I know. <laughs> I feel bad that I wanted a really kind of Final Destination-esque exciting death. Yes. Oh, well. That is what there I kept thinking of, Final Destination, like death kept yeah. coming around and trying again and trying again and trying again. It just and he kept failed. cheating it, so it yeah. keeps coming back. Mm. Devin Sawa, is that what he's called? He was in that movie, right? I don't know. <laughs> he played Casper in Casper. Oh, never okay. <laughs> we'll talk later. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, that was amazing. Thank you so much. That is like, that'd be good at a dinner party. No kidding, yeah. The more you know. Cheers to Adolf Sachs. Starting from next week, we'll have a new segment called Words of the week. Words of the week. Words of the week. Okay, bye. <laughs> Love ya. Love ya. Bye. Listener.